Hi, and welcome to the Better People Podcast. I'm Margaret Yorick, and in today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Lisa DeRoche, Chief People and Equity Officer at the Roosevelt Institute. Dr. Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. It's so good to be here. Well, it is great to have you here with us. And Dr. Lisa, um, to get us started, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your background. Um, those things that you think would be really important for our listeners, uh, individuals in the HR community to know about you. Absolutely. So so thanks again, Margaret. It's so great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. A little bit about my background. Well, let's say HR wasn't my initial chosen career. Um, I actually started my master's in social work with the intention of being a social worker. And I did an internship at Planned Parenthood. I was a single parent at the time and was worried that my chosen career may not be able to sustain me financially. So I, I took a risk and started a temp assignment. So that's how I ended up working in a, a publishing company on Long Island where I live. And after two weeks, I was offered the role full-time as an HR administrator, and I never looked back. Um, so that's pretty much how I got my start in, in human resources. But since then, I've moved you know, progressively up and across industries from publishing to financial services. I spent some time at a health plan, I also moved over from there into community health care, and I also spent some time in foster care. So various industries ending in the schools industry. And now, as you mentioned, I am the chief people and equity officer for the Roosevelt Institute, which is a progressive think tank organization in New York City that started with the historic work of the Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt legacy. Um Beyond my professional, you know, day-to-day, I chair the board of a nonprofit organization on Long Island called Girls, Inc. Uh, They offer research-based after-school programs, and they equip girls with information and, you know, resources to navigate so many things, including gender and economic and social barriers. And we're helping them to grow up healthy and educated and independent. It's one of my, you know, most important roles that I take on outside of my, you know, day-to-day career. Um, I've also chaired the New York City SHRM, Society for HR Management's Mentoring Program, for the past three years, uh, along with my co-chair, Penny McNerney. Hey, Penny. (laughs) And this year's program has 24 pairs of mentors and mentees. I call them M&Ms, and no one is is mad about that. (laughs) Um, And last year, we had 12 pairs. So the program has grown, and humans are craving support and engagement. That's, That's all I can say. Um, and then ultimately, last thing, you know, with all of my love of the field and being a lifelong learner, as I always say, I also obtained my PhD in business with a specialization in HR, which was uh, one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Wow. Well, we're definitely going to talk about that. Want to jump back to something you just said about the mentorship program with Charm. So just yes. tell me a little bit about that. You've got 24 pairs. Where are the mentors from? Where are the mentees from? So the mentors and mentees are from various industries. You know, we probably have individuals from every industry you can imagine. They find out about our program through the New York City SHRM. We advertise annually um, through LinkedIn. And this year we went a little crazy and went on TikTok. I had about uh, 
a thousand views, which shocked me. I was not expecting to see that much engagement on, on uh, TikTok. And, you know, we're trying to be innovative. We needed to build right. and create, you know, more um, vision on the program. And it's been around for a long time. We've been in place for, I want to say at least 15 years. And, you know, we took the reins over from two individuals who had been running it for, for a long time. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's a full application program. The program runs from March of uh, the early part of the year to December. It's a 10-month program. And we Bye. give a rigorous plan to meet, you know, individually with their pairs. We also run some career development with the entire group, um, you know, from month to month. And we also do some in-person live events that, you know, the New York City SHRM offers with one coming up next month. We have our our boat ride <laughs> coming up out of the city next month. And, you know, we can all get together and hang out and have some social time and engagement at the same time. So it's it's a really wonderful program. So, and then our... I'm, assu- I'm assuming, so correct me if I'm wrong, that the focus for the program is on uh, young professionals in the HR industry, or, or do you broaden it beyond that? Yeah, it is for entry-level professionals, some of which who may have, you know, more than a few years of experience. They can have anywhere from five to eight years of experience on the entry-level side. Um, and although it's not a reverse mentoring program, Obviously and honestly, we learn from the mentees as well in the process. But truly, the program is about matching, you know, more experienced HR professionals with less experienced HR professionals and guiding them through their career, you know, and there's so many things that have come up in the process, you know, am I on the right track? Am I, you know, should I be a specialist versus a business partner? You know, how do I navigate, you know, day-to-day programs and projects? So we give them lots of feedback and kind of support them on talking points and direction in in their work on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know mentoring is, is truly a passion of yours. And I know related to your PhD, you researched and wrote a dissertation on entrepreneurial behaviors. Um, And I know you're very passionate also about your research findings with this dissertation. And I would love for you to share really what that was all about and, and what you've done with it. Yeah, um, I appreciate that opportunity, Margaret. Let me start a little bit about, you know, giving you an understanding of my expertise in in all those arenas, both as a mentee, a mentor, and now a scholar, which, you know, I've mentioned. And, and I look at all of these branches as a bit of like a mentoring tree. So that's how I want to, you know, talk about it today. And I'll start with what, you know, mentoring is. From an academic standpoint, the, the scholarly literature says, here is what we know. Mentoring, one, is defined as a learning partnership between a more experienced and a less experienced individual. And two, it's also a powerful human resources development tool that assists career advancement and promotes positive outcomes such as job satisfaction for employees. That is real and that is, you know, the the reality of, of, of what mentoring does. So why I say that is that mentoring is what you make it. So I've had wonderful experiences as a mentee and as a mentor. The first quick experience I want to share is with one of my former companies. So I spent 15 years in financial services at a company called AXA Equitable. 
Um, back around, and, and this is going way back now. I don't want to date myself, but that's okay. <laughs> I am the age that I am, and I'm happy. <laughs> right? I'm happy to be the age that I am. It's all good. But um exactly. back, back around 2005, AXA had established a formal mentoring program, like this one, you know, that I mentioned offered at SHRM. And I signed up to join. I advised I was interested in becoming an HR business partner. And this is when, you know, as you know, the term business partner was popping and up and coming, right? And at the time, I was a recruiter. Um, I was managing a 30-person internship program at the time, which, you know, I also believe can be seen as a form of mentoring. And I was matched to the head of the HR business partner team at the time, who had a great, he had so much experience. I I really looked up to him. Um, Separately and apart from this, I think it's important. He happened to be a white male, right? I'm a black female. As we established our partnership and scheduled meetings, it was clear to me that he had not really had a close exposure, you know, like such as this, working with a, a Black female. So I made it clear to him that I had not had a formal mentor before either, and that we should get to know each other as individuals. And I, I made it a point that although I am a Black female, we are not all the same. <laughs> and I would like for him to get to know me as an individual and vice versa. So, for example, I just wanted to eliminate, you know, all of our biases and just be clear. Let's just be ourselves and learn each other's styles. And this relationship became one of my most cherished experiences in my growth as an HR leader. I have to say, since then, and and his name is Steve, I've utilized Steve as a friend, as a confidant. He's been my referral for better opportunities. He's also participated as an expert panelist on my doctoral study. We are friends to this day after many years. So I say all of that to just say how important it is to like take that chance, take a risk, even when, you know, it's someone that you don't know which is a lot of what the SHRM program is about. You don't, you know, you haven't met these people before. And that's really the hard part. You know, it's like going to a cocktail party and like, oh, I got to get out here and talk to people, right? So <laughs> it, it was really a wonderful opportunity. Now, my... Yeah. my Can I just interrupt you real I'm quick, Dr. Yeah, please. So, so yes, take the risk, right? Enter the relationship, um, start, you know, do it. But I think... And maybe this is part of the risk that you're talking about. I mean, you allowed yourself to be very vulnerable That's in right. this relationship. Like you fully, it wasn't just you You did it. You fully embraced it. You made sure you made the most out of it. That's exactly right. And And even after all of these years, still allowing myself to do that is what I teach, you know, our program pairs. You know, you have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to use your voice, even when immediate trust is not there, you know? Um, And that's one of the, you know, points of my HR experience that has always been a challenge, both as an employee, you know, individual, as well as a manager and a leader. The opportunity to build trust with, you know, another is, is potentially the block that can stop or start a career and or your engagement and being happy in your day-to-day work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So sorry. So continue. I'm sorry. Uh, I interrupted you. One last comment before I jump into the, and and I'll, the study is, is quite long. So I'll, I'll be brief about that of it, but 
the other point I want to point out is my experience as a mentor. It's been equally delightful. So also at AXA, right? I had been paired up with a mentee as a part of my participation in what they called at the time the Women's Bond Club, which was the oldest women's finance organization. Our company, you know, honored our emerging women leaders every year during Women's History Month through a partnership with the Bond Club. And timely enough, you know, it was back then that, you know, I also recognize what confidence, you know, as a woman, you have to build in your experiences, right? So I was paired up with a young woman at the time who had been the valedictorian in her school at the Urban Women's Assembly High School in downtown Manhattan. And once we established our partnership, she wanted to begin a career in marketing and branding. Since I was in HR, I wasn't sure I would help, how I would help her with that. But after getting to know her better, we found an opportunity for her to work as an intern with my husband, who actually was a chef and was opening a salad dressing business. She helped him market it and sell the product. And we continued to have a super productive you know, relationship through her getting that exposure. You, you just never know how you might be able to support someone in, in a process like this. I followed her through her graduation. She taught me so many things. She taught me how to play golf, which was at the time my first experience you know, playing. Now she's all grown up, married, you know, buying a house. So again, you know, it's so important that, you know, you open your your heart to what could be these, you know, long-term opportunities. And my mentee, believe it or not, and it's important to say that she was Asian and without the support of the mentoring program and process, I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to experience mentoring this young woman, which was so satisfying for me, you know? So again, taking that risk, being vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. So let me jump into the study, uh, Margaret. The the topic of my qualitative research study was uh, entitled A Generic Inquiry, Fostering Entrepreneurship Behaviors into Leader Development in Corporations via Mentoring, right? So entrepreneurship which is also known as corporate entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship happening inside of a company, allows organization leadership to make use of its competitive advantage through innovative organization plans by way of entrepreneurial behaviors enacted by who? Their employees, right? So the Mm -hmm. participants in my study were all HR executives, with 10 or more years of experience in three industries. So I had to narrow the scope down of the study or it can get, you know, too broad and then, you know, you can't get your hands around it. So I I narrowed it down to three industries, healthcare, finance, and technology. The, The study research question posed to them, along with several guiding questions, was what is the human resources executive's perspective on fostering entrepreneurial behaviors via mentoring. Pretty pretty simple. Now, those behaviors would ultimately lead to creating entrepreneurial activities, which are, you know, great for the organization. So, for example, um, some of the examples that they brought out on what was inclusive of entrepreneurial activities were, one, creating new programs and products, right? That's an entrepreneurial behavior. Um, Innovative hiring as another example. So not, you know, hiring the traditional ways that we have in the past, going outside of the box. Um, third, expanding business functions internally, 
right? So you're, you have one product line and, you know, a group of people get together and they say, hey, we should be doing this. And they start to work on it together. And now they've spun off into, you know, a new product line. Um, fourth, opening new businesses externally, right? It could be a product or it could be a, a whole entire entity that the company now owns. We see this all the time. Um, the mm-hmm. use of data, right, is also an entrepreneurial activity. And then finally, which surprised me the most, encouragement of staff, right? So as you can see, most, if not all of these activities have an HR spin on it to some degree, right? So so several of the themes affiliated with the HR executives perspectives and experiences with mentoring did emerge from this. And here are a few of the quick themes. Um, one, how senior leaders fostered entrepreneurial behavior. So we talked a bit about, you know, their vision of where they saw that happening amongst leaders in their organization. We also talked about the participants describing how to create a mentoring model toward building entrepreneurship behaviors. And the model really defined the importance of the structure involved in a program, similarly to the one I mentioned at SHRM. You know, it can't work unless you have, you know, an applied approach, you know, a specific set of tools and resources um, that that help, you know, individuals stay on track with the program and attention to them as well. So leadership support, engagement, communication, you have to have all of those items built into a mentoring program or it'll fall, fall apart. You know, people are easily disengaged, right? And then finally, you know, the study brought well, out a bit of a debate. Really, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. So when you say people will disengage, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, you need all of that support. Who do you mean by people? The mentors, the mentees, the the leaders of the mentees who don't support them being part of the program any longer? Like, What are you referring to? Both, right? So okay. the mentors and the mentees, and, and we've seen this happen in some of our partner pairs in the SHRM program. If in fact, there are things happening, as an example, someone is going through a tough time in their organization, maybe they are having a a disagreement with a manager that they support or what have you, and it turns into a complaint, you know, because of this incident that they're dealing with, and they don't have anyone to turn to, they may become disengaged. And if your mentor in a situation where you're that employee who's having a problem inside your organization and your mentor is not reaching out often, is not checking in to see how you're doing, if that engagement is not there, you may decide this is not for me or I don't have the support that I need, right? And that that's more or less what I mean about staying engaged right. and having regular contact with the person who is your mentor or your mentee. If it's not there, it can easily fall apart. Absolutely. Okay, great. Just wanted to confirm when, when you were, because um, I thought you were also saying that if you're doing it within an organization that everybody within the the senior leaders within that organization need to support it as well. Yes, absolutely. So the structure is one piece of it. So ensuring there are opportunities to connect and, and, you know, you can have mentoring programs inside and outside of the organization in, in this particular scenario, I was referring to an individual who's working inside of an organization that may going through may be going through some challenges and their mentor is on the outside. So that person, okay. you know, needs to be supportive of their mentee that they're working with. 
internal mentorship, similarly, the leader has to be supportive of that person, right? They have to know where they see themselves. They have to be, you know, able to communicate with them on a regular basis and, you know, be able to trust that person. So the leadership support internally has to be there as well. Even, you know, for the opportunity of giving the mentee the time that they need to have the conversations with their mentor inside or outside, you know, it is also important, not micromanaging them and saying, oh, you're talking to your mentor again, or, you know, have you gone through all of this other work that I need you to do? So, so giving them that flexibility, that's where the leadership support, you know, comes in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so with all of that said, you know, the findings from the participants in the study revealed that there were about 30 distinct entrepreneurial behaviors and there were um, a diagnosis of the level of importance of each of the behaviors. And some of the leaders described more specifically, and I'll, I'll point out the behaviors that they thought were um, best associated with building entrepreneurial, you know, mentorship, patience, um, compassion, and it's some of what, you know, I was speaking of earlier as far as being able to be empathetic towards a mentee, um, patience, mm -hmm. compassion, role modeling, um, offering safe spaces, and making people feel a part of something bigger, right? I point those right. out because they are so, it seems so natural that those types of behaviors would be easy for someone to condone in an environment, but they're not, you know, they're not. And a lot of those things require, as I mentioned, the trust between, you know, two people. Um, yeah. So, so again, I yeah, can go on and on with this, honestly. It's yeah, like, no, for sure. Both theoretically yeah. and practically, this this conversation is um, so important to be supportive of, you know, individuals within your environment. You know, when you listed off the uh, benefits, the the last last two make me really think of that need that we have for a sense of community, right? Mm -hmm. To belong somewhere mm -hmm. um, and feel safe somewhere. Um, so that that's interesting. Absolutely. So what have you, so you have, you've, you uh, have researched and wrote this dissertation, you've done this study, you've all this great information. Um, you're working with the mentorship program with SHRM. What else, how else are you using this information, this research that you've done? Um, let's see, how am I using this research? I, I don't know, actively. I try my best to, you know, refer to it often in various settings. Um, I work for an organization that, you know, our employees and leaders are basically architects of legislation. And, you know, in the to the extent that I can, you know, frame out for our employees the importance of, you know, solving problems. And mentorship to me is like solving a problem, you know, employees deserve and want more in this day and age. And sometimes we can't always give more, right? Depending on the size of your organization's revenue and budget, it's hard to just always throw money at a problem, but we can do more. We can give care, 
we can mentor and we can create innovative practices that focus on the well-being of the employee, right? Um, for me, I like to um, ensure that that managers and I you know speak to them regularly about the ability to build relationship with their staff. And sometimes it might be a little scary because you don't know if, you know, you can, you, you might be worried about saying the right thing to, to a person or what have you. But setting that stage for the conversation being more of a partnership is, is helpful when you're, you know, working with employees. Um, I always like to say that care is free <laughs> and helping them, right. you know, helping individuals solve problems is free. And I just happen to work for an organization right now that so far in my career, I have to say, not only helps to solve the problems of the, the United States <laughs> broadly, actively, you know, by researching and creating policies centered around building a more equitable and sustainable democracy, but they, they have also really done well in providing flexibility and time off policies, like pretty much the best that I've ever seen. And, and I think that ties back to mentorship too, you know, really recognizing where your, your, your teams need support. And sometimes it's just getting a break to be able to do the things that, you know, can clear their mind and help them stay healthy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so many of of our members that I talk to or speak with um, who have who want to do mentoring, who know I, I do think it is one of those things that you are hearing more of, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, I but so many people are like are in that place where how do I get started? What do I do? What should it look like? Um what would you tell somebody? What would be the, you know, one or two pieces of advice that you could give somebody who is thinking about creating the first mentorship program in their organization? Oh, wow. That's such a good question. Um, I would first suggest that they, you know, survey, and it doesn't have to be a formal, you know, click the box survey. It can just be that they talk to a few people in the organization and, and start small. You know, um, you can support pairing up, you know, mentors and mentees one to one without it being a formal, you know, major program and start as a pilot, start small and have individuals who, you know, may have a need to get additional development start in a in a circle, you know, a small circle. Hey, you know, raise your hand, say you're starting a, a conversation around a particular topic. And does anybody want to join this conversation? Right. You promote it internally. You talk to staff. You start convening, you know, um, um, informal meetings, right, locally and even virtually um, over time. And then depending on what kind of feedback you get and how many participants you get, you can start to formalize it more, more, you know, specifically indicating, you know, how often that people will meet. And would you like to pair up with someone who has a particular expertise that you want to gain? You know, that's one way that it can be started. Obviously, the, the way that we have it at Sherm, it's a lot more formal. It's been around for a while. You know, we have the marketing and branding arm behind us and, you know, the formal leadership and support, i.e., you know, a committee chair, a co-chair, you know, establishing um, roles and responsibilities. And then we have committee members. We're lucky to have five committee members 
running our, you know, uh, mentoring program with us that all have strong expertise as well in various, um, you know, HR functions. So that's always nice to have a, a committed group of people who care about the program as much as you personally may care. So that's another way to start. Get others on board who believe in the importance and promise of mentoring and engage them on, you know, working through a plan. And every organization is different. I think you're going to have to look at your culture and how do people like to communicate? How do they get together? Um, What's new for me in my organization, which I had never used before, maybe you can attest to this, Margaret, is Slack. Slack is a great way to communicate, you know, through organization. It's very new to me, but um, a lot of our, you know, entry level or younger, you know, um, employees enjoy it because they're technology savvy and it's allowed me to get more technology savvy and I'm, I'm happening to love it now. You know what I mean? So it's great. Yeah. Trying new things, I think is another way to build, um, mentoring program. And, you know, there, there are lots of other ways I I'm actually thinking about building out, um, a either a website or an instruction model on on how to build a mentoring program because I think it's it's few and far between but it's very very simple and it doesn't cost anything so um, that's what I um, will will offer that there are a few ways to do it you can start individually and have just one pair and expand it out to where we are with Sherm with twenty four pairs today right and you know what I tell the the members that I talk with and, and that I support in rolling out mentorship programs here at our organization is, yeah, it doesn't have to cost anything really other than some time initially. And yeah. you can start small. And those people, you know, if you even pair up, have one pair to start, they yeah. will benefit from it. You will do something good, right? Um, and, and so it's worth it to start. It's, it's just and- worth it to just start at, at whatever level and then have it grow organically. And, um, and all along the way, people are just really benefiting from it. Yeah. And tracking the progress too, you know, even again, Mm -hmm. just a couple of pairs, you know, being able to have them narrate and quote, you know, the benefits of what their experience has been, you know, and telling more and more people about it. um, Also, I think helps uh, expand the success of a, of a mentoring um, partnership and relationship. Yeah, definitely. So Dr. Lisa, you and I could probably talk all day, uh, but that is not possible, unfortunately. Um, So this has been wonderful. Before I let you go, I do just want to ask you one last question. And that is, um, and this is going to be hard with all of your years of experience and your education, but what is one thing, and this is the hard part, limiting it to just one, that you would say you've changed your mind about? Uh, change my mind about in what aspect? Any aspect, but you know, you could uh, you could keep it work related, but I, I don't care. Just anything, something that at one point you had one one um, thought or one belief, and through your experience, through your education, through everything that you've done, yeah. you've changed yeah. your mind. Yeah. Okay. This is a good one. Okay, I got you, Margaret. Because there's some. Okay. <laughs> Well, what I will say is that as I've grown and matured in my career, I've always felt as if you have to um, please everyone, right? Mm-hmm. And I recognize mm-hmm. in the various environments that I've worked in it is that 
you know, it's important to please everyone, but you'll never get to that point. It's impossible to please everyone. Um, you have to remove the mindset of, you know, the fact that you are attempting to please everyone, but go in with the mindset that you are a trusted individual, especially as an HR leader, and that you are going in with the intent to support, you know, an individual's growth and development and continue on that path and not focus on, you know, the naysayers, for lack of a better word, because there are many people out there in our HR world who are encouraged by the work that they do, but they may not say it often. And, and oftentimes we may need that, you know, um, that that rah-rah or that, that cheerleading um, advocacy behind you to assume that you're doing the right thing and, you know, keep foraging forward on great programs and project that projects that that get to the majority and continue to do it with the heart of servant leadership and mentorship on on your mind. That's that's what I would say I've learned over time. I used to be um you know, I used to feel very downtrodden that I'm um, I'm just not getting everybody to the place where they want to be. And it, and it's hard to do that as one person or as one team. You just have to continue to think strategically and look at your outcomes and results as the betterment of the individuals in the organization. And, and you'll do absolutely fine. Yeah, I love that, Dr. Lisa. Thank you for that. And thank you for spending time with me this morning. This has been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation and um, would love to have a follow-up conversation at some point. So maybe we'll be able to make that happen. Thank you, Margaret. This has been great. And I have um, listened to a few of your podcasts and all of your guests have been wonderful. And I appreciate now uh, to be one of them. Well, we are happy to have you as part of the alumni. And like I said, Maybe we'll do an alumni special someday and, and we'll get to get you back in here and uh, share more about what the wonderful things that you're doing. Yeah. And you have a great holiday weekend. We've got a long weekend ahead of us here. So enjoy. And thanks again. We do. Thank you, Margaret. And have a good rest of the weekend yourself. Take care. Be well. Thank you for listening. We hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. Before we go, we want to thank the sponsor of our show, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association more commonly referred to as MEA. MEA provides human resources services to hundreds of businesses across numerous industries every day, bridging gaps that restrain innovation and growth. If you need support around people issues, reach out to meainfo.org. Better people, better outcomes.